Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Laity Podcast, episode one. This is Andrew here with my buddy Stephen, and uh, we're grateful to have you on board tuning in. Uh, if you haven't gotten a chance to check out our introduction episode, definitely hit pause and uh, go listen to that first 15-minute episode, which will hopefully lay some good uh, groundwork for what we're trying to do here. And um, whether or not you have listened to that, whether or not you're, you've fully subscribed, um, we're excited to have you and uh, excited about what this episode is going to hopefully cover here. Don't plan on having too much structure around uh, our thoughts, although, again, we've outlined a couple things we wanted to hit, uh, but hopefully this will be an organic conversation that unfolds well. Stephen, do you have any master plans for just this to be a blow-away episode? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Face is melted. It's going to get messy. There's going to be like magic tricks. Like there's going to be, it's going to be, we need like sound effects, like the air horn. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like, ow. Or like, like applause is in the background. We're exci- I'm excited about what we're talking about, man. We're going to hit some Pete Rollins stuff. I think last episode we, we started to tee up, um, some some Pete Rollins material, which we'll we'll talk more about. Talking about radical theology, the idolatry of God. Um, talking a bit about beliefs, certainty. Um, you know how we understand the faith and how we approach faith. Um, so, Stephen, I wanted to ask you, kind of off the bat, when you think about laying a you know laying a foundation for what will hopefully be a number of episodes in the future. Um, what do you feel are, are kind of the core, and we'll get into some of this material here, but what do you feel are kind of the the first stop in the journey of like being willing to unpack some stuff in in the faith or deconstruct a little bit, reconstruct? Where, where do you suggest, when people are going to come to you and they're, you know, questioning or, you know, not sure you know, where they fit in in church or they have, they have questions or, um, you know, they're exploring, where do you point people like what is what's kind of the first stop and what what do you feel like would be helpful in kind of laying a foundation for our listeners here episode one like as we and you know to to launch from here it's a good question i I think um uh, i think the first step is is working on increasing our, our our threshold for for tension um i think a lot of times you know, when, when you're, if you're exposed to, to a new idea or you're, maybe you're uncertain about things in your faith, you're struggling with different doubts and whatnot. Um, there can be, as that tension rises, it can tend to sort of short circuit your thinking and, and, and kind of cut off different avenues of exploration. Uh, that can be life-giving. And so I think, um, you know, I, I, I encourage people to, to, you know, just kind of lean into it a little bit and, uh, and to, to, to sit with it long enough to be able to, um, you know, get some more clarity on the questions they want to explore and, and give themselves, I guess, permission and freedom to, to be able to, to do that. So, and why do you think the tension, why is it, what makes it challenging? You know, we talk about sitting with the tension. Um, why, where does that, why is there anxiety there in the first place? I mean, what is the root of a lot of this, the anxiety, the sort of tension that can arise out of having questions or having unsettling experiences that kind of disrupt how we think about God or the Bible or, or the faith. You know, I, th- I think it disrupts the, the like the, the identity that we, th- that we think we have, if that makes sense. Um, what I mean by that is, you know, everything that we do, everything that we think, you know, the, these things, and it's, it's not just religious, it's just sort of, of, of everything. Maybe it's political, maybe it's, you know, we, we have this way of, of, of building an identity for ourselves out of all the things that we like, or like, like building this image of ourselves. Oh, I'm somebody who really likes, you know, hipster kind of off the beaten path music, and I know all the great restaurants, or, you know, oh, I'm somebody who, uh, you know, is, is staunchly conservative or, sta- or, you know, majorly liberal or, Whatever. So these these sort of tastes and opinions and, and views shape an image of ourselves, and I think that image. Uh, there, there's some folks we'll have to explore at some point. You know, that we, we can think of that as our ego, the sort of constructed image of who we are in the world. And so then, as you start to meet people, or you start to enter, you start to sort of to to poke holes, or holes get poked in some of those ways of how you think about yourself. You know, maybe you're, you know, you, you start. 
hanging out with somebody who's of a different different political persuasion than you. Right. And you realize that not everybody who disagrees with you politically has their head up their butt. Like, you right. Know, right. You know, there's, there's a, you know, there, there's, there's actually really great people out there who are smart and intelligent and free thinking and think that you're wrong. Um, and so that, that, that's a pretty unsettling experience, especially then when it, when it happens in the kind of religious or theological space, because, yeah. You know, religion, of course, is a place where uh, we find lots of comfort, and and it's kind of the place that we go to for the ultimate meaning. And so, when you when the the frameworks and the structures that that help you make sense of that start to um, shift a little bit, uh, that that process or the, I guess the anxiety is that maybe that identity um, begins to 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 loosen up or transform. I think the tension is 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 just all the more, you know, amplified. Yeah. You know what? The one thing that made me think of when I think about growing up this sort of, um, to kind of make it personal, you know, when I think about growing up and how I thought about kind of who I was in God's eyes and who I was like for the world, um, I think there, there was this understanding that I, I don't know where this came from. No one told me this. No one sat me down and indoctrinated. But there was this idea that like God is with me and I have this responsibility to deliver something to the rest of the world that the rest of the world does not have. And, and it's kind of the weight, there's a sort of weight on my shoulders to not only deliver this message, but like this idea that where God was essentially with me and he wasn't elsewhere. Not that God couldn't be with other people. And I don't, I didn't nuance this like as a kid, like I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't break this down. But when I think about it, there was this idea that I have something that other people, there's a lack in others that I can meet essentially. And, but, but then when we talk about the anxiety and the tension over time, you know, when I began, like I remember being 18 and growing up in Philadelphia, I remember having, you know, hearing about through, through just different friends in the city, hearing about things that other Christian groups were doing in in, in inner city Philadelphia. In fact, you know, there were, in particular, if anyone has any familiarity with Shane Claiborne or the, um, you know, Simple Way movement in Philadelphia and kind of the uh, ordinary radicals movement, there's this like, the bunch of people that moved into a really poor part of the city and were essentially living in intentional community together. And, uh, you know, using their, you know, using their time, energy, efforts, resources together to meet the needs in the inner city, meet the needs of, of poor people. And, uh, you know, reading about what they were able to accomplish and the kind of light that they were being in the city, like they were, they were like influencing like policy and city hall. They were like helping prostitutes and homeless folks get off the streets. And I actually met some folks from that community who were not from my background, who did not share the same worldview as me, who had different doctrinal beliefs, who went to a different church. And yet in that moment, I saw something in that community that to challenge me to my core, because it made me go, wait, they, they appear to be like a, a better picture of Christ in the world than I feel like I am, which caused me anxiety. Like, wait a minute, how is it that they could be right as well? Um, or, or maybe they have something to offer the world that I don't have. And it kind of, it, it, in that moment, I think I was able to kind of let down your ego does sort of have a bit of a moment there. Like, wait, so where do I stand and who's with, you know, where, where do these people stand? But once you're able to sort of let that guard down a bit, and you recognize that God is actually at work and, and in and around more people and groups and locations and theologies, good and bad, than we might necessarily want him to be. Mm. I don't know. That's what that kind of made me think of. Yeah, well, I mean, all this kind of bring, it brings us to the, the thinker that we were talking about exploring today, Pete Rollins. Because um, he, he's... I know, I know for you, I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with some of his work, but you're probably more familiar with it than I am. And uh, I know that he's played a, a, a particularly significant role in your life, uh, especially as, you know, you've, you've, you've tried to increase your, your tolerance and threshold for, for tension and unknowing and uncertainty. And, right. Um, so can you, uh, can you give the folks, can you give folks a sort of a brief introduction to who, who he is and what yeah. was going on and what was going on in your life when you encountered some of his ideas. Yeah. So, and forgive me for not doing the world's greatest job. And since I know Pete's listening, um, you know, I want to commission. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> 
Um, I have gotten to see him and I have taken a picture of him and I did have him sign my book. I think I told you that. Um, he's also short. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's pretty short. He's also very Irish and I love that about it. I think what I enjoy most is just listening to his accent. Peter Rollins is an Irish philosopher. He's he's really daggum smart. He has like a PhD in post, what is it like postmodern thought or post-structural postmodern yeah. philosophy post or something like that. Um, but what's interesting, so he knows philosophy inside now. He's incredibly well-read. He's an author. He's a speaker. But he also came up through, you know, was you know had a conversion experience as a 17, 18-year-old kid, grew up and kind of came to faith in a relatively conservative fundamentalist community where he was, you know, denounced everything, including his... Um, you know, more, you know, kind of denounced everything in the name of a name of God and sold a bunch of his stuff and like really got into, got into it and was on the circuit, you know, taught never like a pastor, but was like out talking and, and, uh, publicly and kind of just had, you know, his own sort of uh, through studying philosophy and, and radical and what he later kind of worked to term kind of radical theology sort of learned how to unpack and deconstruct a lot of the things he thought was not helpful in his tradition. And he's since become a really influential speaker and author in um, a lot of kind of post-church, if you will, and kind of in the middle of, you know, church and evangelicalism in this country and overseas. He actually is based in LA now. Um, but but Pete's kind of core, uh, you know, what you hear Pete talk about more than anything, and we'll, we'll cover a bunch of different things, um, is this term pyrotheology. Um, and the best, I have to kind of throw his parable out there because Pete also loves parables and he writes parables and he's just all about using different means to, to kind of, to, to convey a message. In fact, I'm gonna put a plug out there. He has a book with like 30 parables he wrote called the Orthodox heretic, which I totally recommend. Um, so he has this parable, um, you know, what Steve, uh, Pete grew, Steve, Pete grew up, uh, in the, in the late seventies where there was just a lot of conflict in Ireland, um, and a lot of war and violence. And there was a kind of military group called the IRA that would plant bombs or incendiary devices in public places and then call the authorities and basically say, there's a bomb in this church. You have, you know, five minutes to get everybody out of the church, you know, before we blow it up. And it was this way of, you know, kind of strapping communities with fear and crippling communities with fear. And there was violence and it was just horrible. And so he tells this parable, he says, you know, uh, and Seamus is always the, is always his character says, you know, once there was a guy named Seamus and he was, um, you know, in the IRA and, uh, he was a really bad guy. Well, Seamus dies and he goes to heaven and, or goes to, ju- to judgment. And in Pete's parable, he would say, you know, he goes up to, you know, St. Peter, uh, who's opens up the book of life. And, um, he says, Hey, Seamus, man, like, you know, I hate to break it to you, but dude, you're in the IRA, man. Like you were violent. You killed people. Like, you're, you're, you're a bad guy, man. You're not getting in. And, and, uh, Seamus goes, no, 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 no. Like, I, I think you understand, you misunderstand me here. Like, I'm not trying to get in. You got five minutes to get out. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, essentially what that captures is this idea of pirate theology, which, and this is to, again, to use kind of peace language is, you know, pirate theology and radical kind of theology is not about, um, you know, doing our best to gather all these people to get us up to heaven and escape the world as much as it is like ridding heaven of heaven and bringing heaven to earth. Um, and what he would say is this, this idea of really living well and embracing, um, I say living well, living life here and now amidst the challenges, the, the suffering life as it really is, which includes mystery, tension, unknowing. And the image of pyro theology is this idea of kind of, I think kind of lighting a blaze, all the certainty and, and kind of weight we put in having all of our T's crossed and I's dotted theologically. Um, and, and he's of course much more thought out than all of this, but the general framework, um, is again, really, you know, emphasizing, you know, the, emphasizing the questions and being willing to, you know, the kind of the divinity around doubt and tension and mystery. And this is stuff he points out quite a bit and says, and what he says is, you know, it's not that we, um, you know, it's not that we, um, uh, don't have questions and we need to, we need to stave off, you know, the, the, the uncertainty and the, the people ask, you know, questioning our beliefs and the disruption. It's not that we need to stay far away and keep those things at arm's length, keep the, you know, temptation to believe other doctrines or the, he's what he says is it's not that we need to, you know, keep those away because they don't exist within us. It's actually, we just need to recognize that 
we're full of doubt, that we actually have a lot of questions, that, that we actually have this fear and challenge around even just sitting in silence. And, and you talk about holding the tension, like we really don't like the tension. You know, we don't like uh, you know, sitting with some of the uncertainty and the challenges of life, be it the, the passing of a loved one or someone that, you know, it, it is faithful and, and, you know, gives their life to God, but they, they live a life of that just seems to be wrought with suffering. Um, or when we feel like God's not there, you know, that we've given everything and, and all of a sudden, you know, we turn around and our life hasn't been, you know, using air quotes here, blessed the way we thought it would. And what Pete says is, you know, we all have these uncertainties, these doubts, these, what he would call ghosts. And, you know, cause he says, we're all, we're all haunted houses, the, with ghosts and challenges, but you know, the key is, are you willing to actually look at that, not repress it, but embrace all of that full on? Okay. So that's, that's a lot. That's a, uh, sorry, that was a lot. All right. This is good. No, this is good. I like, I like his stuff. So when did you meet, like, how, how did you get in touch with this stuff? What was going on in your life at that time? You know, I, I think I had just moved to Atlanta and, um, Pete, so to answer the question directly, Pete was, you know, he, he had moved to the States and was on a podcast. He was actually on Luke Norsworthy's podcast years ago. And I think he was taught, the first one I heard is when he was talking about his book, The Idolatry of God. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I think Pete just put words around so much of what I was thinking and feeling. And then also just so much, uh, he's just really, really smart. And he would, you know, he brings philosophy to the table. He brings the Bible, you know, biblical interpretation to the table using parables, but also was just so down to earth and, kind of just helped me to exhale a little bit. I think he like gave me a lot of language and a lot of framework around how to think about these things, but also like this sort of pat on the back, like with this Irish accent, like I can't even do it. I'm not going to, but that like, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> oh, no, that everything's going to No, that, that, that everything is going to be okay. You know, and that there's no, you know, this is just, it, it, it's a journey. And rather than, you know, hold these beliefs and, and, you know, the, the certainty as tight as possible, you know, as we sort of can relax that grip, you actually open yourself up to possibilities in your life um, and in community and relationship with other people um, that you otherwise cut yourself off from. So, there's so much stuff I would yeah. like, I'll let you keep going asking the questions, but there's, there's a lot of good stuff there. Let's, let's, it sounds like the first, the first book you read from him was the idolatry of God. Yeah. The, I think I was talking about the first book. Um, and we can talk about his others. You know, the idolatry of God is, uh, when he uses that language, um, you know, what he's talking about, you know, the world growing up religiously as you and I both did, and we don't mean that in, in a derogatory sense at all, um, you know, part of that story or, or part, yeah, part of that worldview and story is that the world, meaning not, not in the church, the secular world out there, um, is offering lies, um, that Satan or the devil or the powers that be are, are offering you lies. And the lie is, um, such an, you know, fill in the blank will satisfy your soul is the language we would have used, will satisfy your soul, will make you whole and complete, that if you only had more blank, fill in the blank for what it is for you, you'll finally be happy, right? And we would talk about this. I, I mean, I've preached sermons on this stuff, right? It's, it's this idea that the world and marketing and consumerism says what you really need is that new car. What you really need is that promotion, um, what will finally make you whole and complete is the perfect husband. Um, what, what will finally satisfy the ache of and longing of your soul is bearing children. Um, what, what will finally, you know, help you to feel whole and complete is when you're in a church community where everyone likes you. Um, you know, what, what will, and that's not, I'm jumping the gun. That's not really a secular one. Um, but, but you know, what, what will finally make you whole and complete is when you're popular, you have the likes on social media, you're able to kind of, you know, everyone agree. And so, and so we would, from a, I say we would, I would, from a religious perspective, you know, that, that really preaches, right? It's like, guys, I have news for you. Those things will not satisfy you, but there is someone who will. There is something that will, and that something that 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 gap, the lack, that 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 thing that you are missing is God, or 
salvation or belonging to a church or mm. Jesus himself. What Pete would say, well, I don't want to make it all about Pete, I guess. In this th- way, in this kind of school of thought, what, the, what, what radical theology would say to that I mean, within this idolatry of God framework is when we say that God or this church or the Bible or whatever will make you whole, satisfied, complete, happy, we are actually turning God just into another object in the vending machine to be used for our consumption. So what do you mean? What do you mean by that? What do you so mean by that? so what we mean is if 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 the, picture a giant gen- vending machine of life, and it's okay. It's all these things exist here for you, and if you pay the certain currency, you can get or a certain amount of money or whatever it is, you will get whatever object it is, whatever kind of sa- called a sacred object that you desire which will satisfy everything, which will make you whole and complete. And for some people, it's the new job. For some people, it's having that house. For some people, it's the status of living in a neighborhood, a certain neighborhood. It's having a certain amount of money saved. It's being able to say, I finally have a six-figure salary. Uh, You know, I finally have enough money to buy that third car. For others, it's now I have God. Um, Now I have Jesus. Now I have, I'm finally a part of a church that makes me feel whole and complete. I finally have a social group that gets me. And, and what, what, what Peter would say is that that is just as unhelpful because the reality is when you don't have that, ob- when you live your life longing for that object that you don't have, the, I say object, whatever that end is, if it makes sense, if you're following me, when you're living your life without, with the lack and you're so focused on the lack, then you can't embrace the present and your whole life is this sort of regularly falling short of what it is you really want. And so you can't come to grips with where you're at in your life. You're always longing for, for what you can't have. The flip side of that is if you get what, what Peter would say is the only thing worse than not getting what you want is getting what you think you want. So if, if you then get it, you, whatever the object is, you inevitably recognize and f- come to grips with even a more heartbreaking reality, which is that that object can never satisfy you. That mm. that object that you finally worked so hard for, and this we definitely see this clearly in the world, right? Like, I finally made that job, and I finally had the salary, and then I looked around at my mansion, and I was like, I'm so bored and empty. Um, or, you know, I... Uh, you know, I, I, I academically achieved everything I wanted to, and I got the awards, and I, I kind of built the trophies around me, or I got the relationship I wanted. I finally married the girl I was in love with, but now we're five years in or two years in, and this is really not that great. And so what, what P would say is that with religion, it actually can function in the exact same way, that when God becomes an object to be consumed for our benefit, he becomes an idol. He just becomes another object in the machine to be consumed. And what is the, what is, what are idols all about? They are, they are projections and, and images of things that, that again, that we think play a certain role in our life to make us feel happy, whole, complete, but they always let us down because they're idols. And, That's interesting. and yeah. And so, you know, it can almost, it sounds at first, you know, at first glance, it can almost sound unorthodox, like, but no, but I thought God is like, he does satisfy. He does. But what he's saying is not that God, what he would say is that God and and Jesus and Jesus doesn't come to, he doesn't say that he's come to, to make your life perfect, happy, whole, and complete. But the wholeness and the completeness, and and hear, hear me out here, the wholeness and completeness and peace, it's not that it can't come, it's that it only comes with the abandonment of the pursuit of that idol. So, okay. All right. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So, so Jesus says, Jesus says, I'm coming to give them a life. They may have it to the full. Yes. Make sense of this for me. Yes. With, with that verse and what you're saying. So Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and life to the full. And John, I believe. So what P would say is, and what I, you know, what I would say is my understanding of this, of this way of thinking is life to the full can only be experienced when you abandon the pursuit of life to the full. In other words, when we can, when we can let go of this journey, or excuse me, not of the journey. If when we let go of the pursuit of this object that will make us whole and complete and satisfied, 
it is only with the letting go of that, that we can actually exhale, live in peace and reality um, and, and uh, amidst our current life situation as it is in community and in relationships. So in other words, faith in this picture is not you know, so much about, you know, it, it's not faith, you know, to finally get that object, you know, to, to, to say the prayer, to be baptized, to become a, a card carrying member. Like it doesn't take faith to just, I mean, it does, but ultimately to, to just become a part of that community and, and believe this idea that now finally I'm whole, complete and satisfied. What takes faith is embracing life in the midst of unknowing, of suffering, of not having that thing, of not being whole and complete. And, and so, and it's in that moment that you can actually ha- live this life to the full because you're, you're embracing life for what it really is. So let me, I'll suss this out a little bit more. So the, let me just go to my experience for a minute. And Steve, I want to pick your brain too on this, and we can keep walking through. It is really easy to sell someone on a lack that they have in their life. Um, you can make a lot of money pointing out a lack someone has, a lack of discipline, a lack of you know, personal development, a lack of peace, a lack of fitness, a lack of God. If you can exploit the lack and convince someone that they need something, in a secular or religious content text, you can make a lot of money and be really, really successful because people want to buy into that. Like they want that object. They want the thing that can. And so even in religion, like for me, I think so much of my outlook was kind of like how, what's a sort of crack in someone's faith or life, call it depression or uncertainty around the Bible or uncertainty about God. Like what was that, that crack that I could then, you know, what was that lack that I could address? Because it was, I believe, you know, I believed it was God that they were missing. And so, but then once you actually get assimilated and you turn, turn your life around and you, you know, you recognize that a life of faith is not a life that has all the answers. A life living in, you know, in community and, and following Jesus is not one that is perfectly whole, complete, and satisfying in the, in the worldly sense of the terms. Like there's, there is suffering, there is unknowing, there is challenge, there is, uh, you know, there are difficulties, there are uncertainties. And if you walked into that relationship with God, expecting that that would all go away and that, well, now that I'm a Christian, these, I should have these answers. Now that I'm a Christian, like I shouldn't have to be depressed. My anxiety should be gone. Right. Shouldn't my, all my fears be totally alleviated maybe in theory, but they're just not like, I hate to break it to you. They're just not like, and if they are, then I don't know what kind of, so I, I feel like this gives you then the opportunity to say, actually, Jesus is more, and, and Jesus is more interested in me living with a lot of this brokenness, uncertainty and suffering and challenge and not having, not necessarily feeling whole and complete and perfect. Um, and it's in that, that I can really feel this peace in life to the full two images before I get your thoughts. Sorry. The first is Jesus on the cross. And what, what Peter would say is that what makes Christianity so different, he's like, if you want to find a religion that can tell you to love people and be peaceful and, and be nonviolent, you can find that like anywhere. Um, you can say Jesus said it first, you know, there's a lot, but, but you can go for most religions like are interested in that, um, or being a good person, kind of the morality, um, you know, being generous, uh, being just like, that's not hard to find. Um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, the embodiment of God on the cross, empty, broken, without, without a God. Um, that image of lack and, 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 you know, God showing his full self as lack on the cross, like without and, and empty is the most radical turn of, you know, of religion that is no longer, again, that doesn't say, Hey, here's the perfectly packaged answer and solution without suffering and no problems in your life and prosperity. Instead, it says, no, I'm like, I'm on the cross suffering and I don't know why, and I don't meaning, why have you forsaken me? Like there's questions there. Um, that, that's the essence of radical theology and is sitting on that cross, um, not staying on the cross. It's not negative and don't mean to be like dark and heavy, but embracing a lot of that, that challenge that comes with that. And the second image is of the, the, when Jesus dies, this tearing of the, the curtain in the temple, 
So if you think about in the, within the Jewish understanding of the temple of the, you know, the holy place in this most holy place, there very much was this idea that there is a place where God dwells and, you know, where, and there isn't necessarily an object you know, that the, there's the Ark of the Covenant, there's the Ten Commandments, there isn't necessarily one object that represents God, but God's mm-hmm. over there, right? So the really holy people are the priests that get to go into the holy place. And the whole, you know, the, the high priest gets to go into the holy of holies. And man, if we could only get behind that curtain, we could really have God. I'm not saying anyone ever actually said this or thought it, but follow the metaphor. If we, you know, yes, we're here in the, in the temple courts and it's great, but man, if we really want to be close to God, like if we could only get behind that curtain, what happens when Jesus is crucified? The curtain is torn, it says, and there's nothing behind the curtain. There's nothing there. It's torn. God's not there. Like, hate to break it to you. God's not. God is not the Wizard of Oz hiding behind the curtain waiting to say, yep, you got me, guys. But rather, God is out there among you. And Jesus did the same thing. Like, don't let people tell you that it's here or there. No, the kingdom of God is within and among you. And and so the so <laughs> there's a lot of stuff, but I think the summary for me and is moving away from God as the sacred object to be pursued to make our life whole, complete, and perfect. Rather, abandoning that pursuit and saying God is more interested in me and in living in community with me amidst the suffering, the unknowing, the challenges, and the realities of life and faith, and that's where life to the full is really lived. Hmm. It's almost like. Uh... And maybe we should write this one down. This is a good line. Like you, like uh, anyone who who loses his life will find it. Yes. <laughs> I think. Uh, did you wait? Did you coin that? Oh yeah. We need to get some like mer- that. Get, get, get that on some merch, man. No. So what? No. But that. No. Exactly. Yeah. W- what are your thoughts on this? Like what? D- what? And, and I'm curious what some of the. Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Like on any of this? What's compelling, and then what's not? What does it kind of leave you questioning? I, uh, I I like it. There's a lot of stuff here that I like. I mean, I, when, one thing that, that I think another image that that stuck out to me as you were talking was was Jesus after after the cross. So you have like the, the road to Emmaus where he shows up, and and somehow I mean, if you read the story, there's he's um, he still has like the you know the marks on his hands and feet by the time Thomas is doubting. And that, I can't remember if that's in the same gospel of the road to Emmaus story or not, but. Uh, he he meets him on the way, and, and and he meets his disciples on the way, and they're talking, and they ask him, you know, have you not heard about everything that's happened? And Jesus then goes on, and he starts explaining things in the scriptures, and, and he talks to them for however long that walk is. They invite him into their house, and at this point, from the disciples' standpoint, Jesus is a stranger. They they don't they right. still haven't recognized who he is, but they invite the stranger in. And then the stranger breaks this bread and hands it to them, and then all of a sudden, everything makes like they they see, they, they see it, they get it. So it, it's interesting to me. Like, and that's um, when I've heard Pete talk, I've heard him mention some of that, the idea that that God, God being present in that fellowship with one another, especially you know, with as as we are embracing the stranger and and um, people yeah. that are so different from us. So, I, uh, I want to sorry, go ahead, I finish that thought. No, that's um. That's pretty much it on that one. I've the, got a few others. The other challenge that comes with, and if we don't want to make this pivot, I'll let you ask the question, but it kind of piggybacks on what you were saying. The other problematic piece of God is this kind of sacred object or the, you know, the, the sacred object to be pursued and, and kind of held on to is then once you have that, um, it's yours to kind of own, defend, and gives you a sense of identity that can then be leveraged against others. And where Pete goes with this is that, again, when it, when this, this, again, the, call it an object, call it the, the, the thing that can make you whole, complete, whatever. When you have ownership, when all of a sudden God is something that you have and you own, it can be weaponized against other people who don't have, you know, so those who are not like you and those who do not, you know, who don't have, um, or those who just disagree, that this is where you see a lot of the tension and the kind of vehement, reactions and, you know, uh, to, to people that then disagree with you. So let me give you an example. So when someone, when I'm having a conversation with someone 
I mean, let's not make it about me. Let's say when when you when this when you're as a listener, it, you know when you are having a conversation with someone, and particularly on a, a religious subject, and someone brings something up that you don't agree with on a certain subject, a doctrinal subject, something about church. You know, there's some things that kind of just fly by us, right? It's like, oh, so you think we should have. Um, you know, you don't have a problem. You think that we should, uh, I'm trying to think of an example because it'd be good to be practical. Um, you know, you're okay with, um, uh, maybe it's like a silly thing, right? Like we shouldn't take communion every Sunday. We should take it once a month. So someone says, oh yeah, that's interesting. I think we should probably take it every week, but you know, maybe not. And, uh, but that's a good point. I never thought, and it kind of just, you kind of whisk by you. Do you don't think about it? Your heart's not racing. Nothing's wrong. But when someone says something like, you know, I, um, you know, I, I think it might make sense to, you know, bring, bring women onto our, you know, our, our leadership team of our church that we should have, you know, female evangelists, um, whether or not they're saying we should do this, we should have this when maybe that that's an example of something that comes up or, you know, I'm not, I'm not quite sure if I believe the same things about hell that I believed when I was 15 and, or there are certain subject matters or, uh, or topics that all of a sudden there's this subconscious, like bodily reaction we have. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Well, all of a sudden, like my yeah. heart starts beating really fast or I'm getting kind of sweaty or I'm, I have some words in my throat that are like, dude, I just want to let this out. Like, do what? Like I'm, I'm sort of yeah. bubbling over, like I'm about to, and whether or not I control that, like, even if I say, okay, you know, I walk away from that conversation really, really, really tense. We ought to recognize where that comes from. And why in those moments that people who are not like us, the other, the stranger in that moment, like the someone who we don't feel fits into our camp for whatever reason, whether or not we're in the same church with them, um, when, the, when it causes those kind of vehement reactions, what P would say is that's evidence of, you know, a, a sort of repression. That, that's, that's a, it's evidence of a repression and a kind of wanting to keep these, the people that don't feel the same way I do and that don't hold the same object and this kind of, again, this thing that I possess the same way I do, um, wanting to keep that at a distance, not wanting to actually look at ourselves because the reality is what mm-hmm. he would say is maybe you actually have had the same questions about women in leadership, but you don't want to look inward and address them. So, or maybe you've wondered the same thing about heaven and hell, or you've actually been kind of uncertain, but when someone brings it up to you, it, 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 um, it causes the attention and the, the challenge within your own soul to kind of come to the surface and is really, really uncomfortable. And what Pete would say is that discomfort is exactly what you should press into. Figure yeah, an, go ahead. So the, the, I, 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 I can envision because I hear what you're saying, especially if, if someone if someone is transitioning from a conservative position, maybe they grew up a certain religious way or whatever, and now they don't believe that. Uh, but I th- I think the important thing to point out is actually it's 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 a two it's a double edged sword. It, it goes both ways. So even it's possible that even like when, when if people who are you know what, once you've made a shift, yes, it's possible to still have that same reaction with yes. the self that you used to be. Definitely. Or, or people, yes. who, people who remind you. So like, you know, in, instead of deconstructing the need to, uh, and, and this, this is, I don't know if this is just totally ethereal or not, but instead of deconstructing the, the need to, to really, to maintain that ego, you've just sort of shifted what it looks like. So yes. whereas, okay, it used to be a Democrat. Now you're Republican or you used to think this about the Bible. Now you think that. Uh, and then, then going back to, you know, thinking about where it used to be or anybody that reminds you, I think this is why, like some people who are like some of our friends who aren't in a church anymore, they get the heebie-jeebies anytime they go to a church. Right. When certain words are dropped or the songs come out and you're like, oh my gosh, we sang this song when I was at camp, when I was 12, don't go back down. You got to be, yeah, yeah, definitely. But but it keeps them, it keeps them from, it's the same mechanism, you know, it, it keeps them from, uh, from, from from whatever community and whatever life can be found in, in, in embracing those people. And even the, the person that they imagine themselves to have once been. Oh my gosh, that's so good. And because it definitely, and, and I feel like when you move away and I'm speaking for myself, when you feel like you've made moves away 
from certain things. Like I'll, I'm no longer kind of in this camp or I no longer kind of sit. I don't, I, I don't drink the Kool-Aid anymore. Like I don't quite buy into the system. Blah, blah, blah. And then something, someone brings something up or like, I can feel myself needing to be defensive. Oh, someone asks a question, you know, where do you stand on this issue or what do you, and I'm like, Oh, you're in my head. It's, you're only asking that because you're trying to label me and put me in your thing. And this is what you guys do and blah, blah, blah. And, and right there and then I'm living, I'm already, I'm living in my head the ego is flared up and I'm like, I'm no longer in a generous giving relationship with that person. Right. Exactly. Like I'm yeah. totally disconnected. Like I'm, and I feel like to get, to kind of bring this full circle to like the lady podcast, like the concept of what we're trying to do and what, why we're even using the words we're using. Like what is this? How does this kind of thinking, how can it apply and, and help our life? Um, and our life and community. It's first of all, I think we need to just, accept and name that very mechanism that's in place. Like, Hey, like, and I'll even say, I, I have honestly, like I've said, like I'm kind of uncomfortable in this conversation because I feel like I'm being defensive because I feel yeah. like you're being defensive or like, I feel like I, I have to prove something to you. Um, but I really just want to be able to have a conversation. Like, and I want to be honest, um, because there's, there is this, this is tension that exists and the other challenge and, and, man, we got to talk about like beliefs and, and kind of the, the certainty and belief element of this, but um, not in this episode. But the, the challenge is, the, the flip side is, there's this sort of false community and false connection we can have with mm. people if, it's, if we just can like, can play the game and say the right things and, and give the impression that like, we're, we're all good, like, like all, all is well here. Um, remember that thing in, uh, I don't, are you a Star Wars guy? Like, do you watch Star Wars much? I'm not a very good Star Wars guy, but I I, I do See, like it. You know how in uh, it's one of the original episodes that happens all the time where like the Jedi's if they want someone to like say or do a certain thing, they'll just say a certain thing. Like, uh, what does he say? Um, he goes, I think it's Obi Wan. He goes like the guards are going up to him and like they're looking for these droids, and he's like, these aren't the droids you're looking for, and they're like, these aren't the droids we're looking for. Like they told, in other words, like <laughs> he says the exact, he's able to influence and like use the force to. I feel like there's this sense of like, we, as long as we say the right things and you know, Hey man, how are you? I'm great. I'm reading my Bible. This is this. And I go to this group and I kind of, kind of name drop and I'm a part of this. Like if the currency checks out and it's not just on the conservative side, it can be on the other side as well. Like I'm listening right, to these yeah. authors. I'm, I'm finally reading Francis Chan, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm right? going to that protest, right? Yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. I'm going to the protest. Like dude, definitely like whatever camp uh-huh. it is, like there can be the sense of, okay, good. Like you're one of us. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's just as like shallow of a connection because again, it may, what Pete would say, what radical theology does is it ex, it says we all should come to the table with our ghosts, our demons, our our what we would in religious language call sin, uncertainty, you know, just the the question marks, bring them to the table and say, "Yeah, man, I don't have this figured out." And I don't want to try to convince you that I'm all good because maybe I'm not. And either, you know, morally and emotionally or just in terms of my faith journey. And that's okay. Uh, and we can live in community together. Yeah. So I, I was wondering this because this is, like you said, bringing it back to laity. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier we were mentioning the, you know, the difference with radical theology and kind of trying to abandon, finding life to the full in the abandonment of the pursuit of life to the full. Yeah, but what what about what about the folks maybe that uh, are in your faith community uh, or you know friends that you have, where like that's just not their experience at all. Like they're actually they're they're very happy, they're very content. They are they they have life to the full, as they have it now, and it's not it's not by abandoning that pursuit. What what do you what happens yes. there? So I want to two things. One, when I say life to the full is lived, when you're like an abandoned life to the full. I, th- I hope our listeners know what I mean, but I don't literally mean like stop trying to live life to the full. I mean, this idea of I got it what, again, once I have this, this thing, I'll finally have life to the full. Like it's about embracing your life as it is now and embracing all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that's where life to the full is, is lived to your point. I think the, the, you know, what we want to do for what I want to do in those kind of, in those contexts is not, you know, try to come in like a, uh, what's the line? Um, like a, uh, a bull in a China shop and like, Hey, but you think this, but you don't even know, like you're so back. Like 
I have no no desire to like go in and try to disrupt someone's whole framework um, because I think honestly life does that for you. Um, so I, I think for those who feel content with how thing, the way things are, if you will, content in their communities, the way they are, dude, awesome. Like, honestly, I'm so glad. I'm glad that, that embrace that, like live into that. Um, for those that feel like they're living, living this life, to, you know, life to the full, truly like in the way that they're doing that, like, amen, God bless. What I would just say is like, if it's, if there is sort of this idea that like I'm in the epicenter of life to the full because I'm like more involved in my church and in my mm-hmm. social group than ever before. And like everyone likes me and you know, we're, we're so jiving and it's like us against the world because like we're just in a really good place. I would just say like life context change. In other words, like we're, you're not going to be like in a quote unquote, like, well, I'm not going to say that, but you're, you're, you're not necessarily going to be in like a campus ministry context with a bunch of like other guys that are young and single and have nothing but time, energy and like, and faith and excitement, um, to just, and just hanging out. Like that's going to last like four to 10 years for someone, you know, and then you're going to have another life stage. So I would just say, um, there needs to be, I think a sort of because then we see people kind of fall off the cliff, right. And kind of crash. Yeah. Like, wait, my context, like, I don't, I, what happened? I thought God was like this, you know, I thought church was like this. Um, so I'd say embrace it for what it is, but you know, and build relationships. And, you know, I think if, if we build well with the right tools and, and set a good framework, then we're not necessarily going to be, you know, fall flat on our face and feel t- like my life has fallen apart when life contexts do change. But I think the, you know, the exposure, this uncertainty and the questions just kind of inevitably happen given life's how life unfolds. Yeah. And, and I think it's important just to point out too, the, 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 the complete legitimacy, uh, of th- those people who never even have feel the need to deconstruct anything. So I think it's, it's so hard. I mean, you know, the, the mechanism you mentioned, it, it's so, it's so, it's so elusive sometimes to see, cause especially if, if you, if you make a change, whatever, you know, if it's a religious, political, whatever kind of pivot you make, um, it, it is, it's, it's, it's so easy to, for that mechanism to still be in place against, you know, where you were, like we talked about. And so I think about, you know, for people, this is, this is sort of what I'm interested in is, is how do we create communities of faith where the people who don't really have a need to, who, who don't feel the need to deconstruct, and the people who are in the midst of deconstruction yes. and the people who are reconstructing are all coming to the table and finding God in breaking bread together. Oh my goodness. I don't know how, I mean, that's, it's, it's hard because awesome. in all three of those stages, these identities are being formed and, and, and we want to protect those identities at all costs. And, you know, I, I, it sounds like what Pete would say is like, no, like let it, we all have to be able to let those things come to let those things fall out of the wayside and, and be open and willing to be influenced by one another, whatever, whatever the, yes. whatever the side of the aisle you're on now and whatever side of the aisle you're moving to. And then once you've been there, once you've moved, whatever side of the aisle you are at that point, there um, are people, there are people, and here's our, I think kind of cause I'm concluding thought. There are people listening to this right now who are years removed from church that were, you know, coming from a really, you know, pretty hardcore religious context that they felt either sick of, moved on from, burnt out from, burned on, you know, whatever. I don't know where everyone's coming from. Um, that just couldn't, that, that are interested in this conversation, um, either because they know us or because they, they, they're interested in, in this general subject matter, but couldn't care less about church. There are other folks that are like in the, in the throes of, you know, multiple meeting a week, you know, evangelizing campus ministry, you know, uh, stuff on campus, trying to be a light, trying to make an impact, growing ministries. There are people listening that are like employed members of churches that are like paid to do this. Um, And there are other folks that are like just now thinking about what Christianity means for them. Like what I, the metaphor I envision is like everyone's sitting at the same table having a drink, having some food and just having a conversation and not necessarily about this subject matter, but being able to be in community where everyone has that guard down and, and those conversations can exist. Yeah. And 
to me, man, that is a cool, cool image of the church in my yes. mind. Yeah. Cause um, and, and you, when you come to it's without the expectation of influencing the other person, it's yes. with the expectation of allowing yourself to be influenced. Okay. Because I have to say this last thing. I have to, I have sure, to, go for it. One, we're 50 minutes in this episode. Sorry if it's long. So <laughs> allowing yourself to be influenced, you know, two of the things that uh, Pete, you know, that, that, so Pete had a community, Pete Rollins to kind of wrap it on Pete. He had a group in a, uh, in a kind of a, a community of, of folks in Ireland called Icon. And they had a few really cool practices that Pete talks about a lot. One is called the Evangelism Project. And what they would do with the Evangelism Project is they would literally go out to be evangelized by other groups, um, that weren't like them. So they would go to uh, a mosque and they would go to the humane society and they would go to the Buddhist meeting and they, they wouldn't say, Hey, convert us. They say, you know, what, what do we look like to you? What does our religious Christian community look like to you? What do you have to say to us? Like bringing on that kind, that kind of critique um, yeah. to, to, to be self-aware. Another thing they did was called the last supper and they called it the last supper because they would invite a guest speaker in to their meeting who they knew 99% of the people in the room would totally disagree with and they would never welcome them back. So it would be their last supper. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> we don't want to hear this again, but like, come on in. Like that would be, yeah. you know, and I could give like 10 examples of what that person would look like to me. Um, you know, practices like that, I think are so there. The power of theology is this, you know, you're actually living out these kind of practices and allowing yourself, like you said, to be, um, critiqued, allowing yourself to, to, to let, to let the guard down. And I think the life that comes from that, the letting go of the sacred object, the letting go of the, instead of possessing and kind of hoarding these certainties, um, that's where a lot of life flows, man. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how, you know, the times where I have tried to lean into that, like, and I've gotten with, you know, somebody that, that I disagree with or, um, and, and the more you actually get to hear their story, the harder it is to be like, you know, to make a monster of them. Yes. And so, and that, that that's not, that can be, that's on the other side of the aisle. So I, I love that vision of the church, man. Just the, the, the folks from, from a number of different sort of tribes, communities, frameworks, but coming together because of what has happened in Christ uh, to the table to be influenced by each other. That's powerful. Love it. Well, guys, thanks for listening. Steven, thanks for asking the questions. I'll, maybe I'll interview you more formally next time. But uh, we'll definitely leave in the show notes kind of some details and links to uh, some of Pete's content. And, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll continue the conversation here in another episode. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And uh, have a good one.